0: Welcome to the Blister Podcast, a program dedicated to interesting people, the great outdoors, and a bunch of other stuff we like. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and as always, you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today on the podcast, we've got a very special live episode for you. We just held a few days ago the inaugural Blister Speaker Series event at Western Colorado University in Gunnison, Colorado. This is a new monthly series that we'll be conducting live on the campus of western and it's a free event that is open to the public so you should check out the speaker series schedule in the show notes to this episode then come join us in gunnison for the upcoming talks and while our conversations each month will be designed with western student body in mind I believe that you're going to see right from this very first episode that there are a number of important lessons and insights that can benefit any of us, regardless of your age, location, or career. And I was especially excited and honored to launch this new series at Western with Brendan Leonard, the creator of Semirad.com, the author of something like eight books and counting, and an award-winning film director and producer. Oh, and Brendan and I also broke some news at Western about a new project that he and I are collaborating on that will be starting up soon. So keep an ear out for that too in this conversation. In just a second here, I'll say a little bit more both about Brendan and what inspired this Blister Speaker Series at Western. So without further ado, let's get to our live conversation from Western Colorado University in beautiful Gunnison, Colorado. Hi everybody, my name is Jonathan Ellsworth. I am the founder of a company called Blister and I am extremely excited to uh, have you all here and to be part of this uh, first ever Blister Speaker Series at Western. This is something that we've had uh, in the works for a while now that a number of people have come together to contribute uh, to get this thing going. And uh, fact is we are all quite excited about it. Some of you may know that I relocated Blister uh, to the Gunnison Valley this past fall. And I will say that a significant factor in that relocation was you guys. Um, I had an eye on Western. Your guys' reputation precedes you here. And I thought, man, we've got this really interesting university situated in this outdoor Mecca with some ridiculous mountain sports athletes, some of whom I've already had the chance to ski with, haven't yet biked with or, and I'm not going trail running with any of you because that would be pointless. It'd be me running by myself. But uh, so I just kept looking at this place as such an interesting opportunity. And given the work that we do in the outdoor industry, it really became increasingly interesting to me to see if maybe we couldn't help bring some of that outdoor industry here to Western. I've met so many Western graduates who are already working in the outdoor industry and knowing who makes up the student body here, I just thought this is a really interesting opportunity to bring some of the people to campus every single month who really are making waves and kind of shaping the current outdoor industry. And uh, the real hope is that by doing this, we let you interact with some of these people so that when it's your turn in the very near future to start shaping this industry yourselves, that you might be in a better position to do that. So that really is the vision for this series and and our hope. And I'm really excited about it. We've had some great meetings today with uh, several different groups and, uh, you know, we're going to be doing this every month. And so um, the way that I've been thinking about who I would be inviting to campus was, frankly, I was just picturing myself out there. And especially if I was still a student, who is it that I would want to come here talk and get a chance to interact with or ask questions? And uh, that really has kind of been driving how I've been thinking about who it is that we um, try to bring to campus each month. When we uh, finally got the green light to do this series, I was pretty clear on who I wanted to have come first. He's sitting in the front row currently. His name is Brendan Leonard. He's the creator of a website called Semirad.com. Please tell me that you guys are already on this, and if you aren't, please, like, first of all, just start with Instagram, let's do that. Like, start following Semirad.com. It will make your life better, and I think one of the things that I've really come to appreciate about Brendan is, uh, Well, we're gonna get into this a little bit in our conversation here tonight, but as I've gotten to know Brendan over the years, I think it's safe to call him one of the hardest working people I know in the industry. He's definitely also one of the most creative people I know in the industry. He doesn't really stop. He's kind of this creative nuclear reactor or something. He's the author of a handful of books. It's hard to keep up with him, but I think The Art of Getting Lost is the most recent. We've got a number of others. 60 uh, Meters to Anywhere, which is a wonderful book that you all should read. The New American Road Trip Mixtape, which I actually wrote a review of on Blister. It was a pretty good review. You know, it was, you know, it was honest. It was honest, and you should read that one too. Brendan has also directed and produced several award-winning films, most recently a film that maybe some of you have seen called uh, How to Run 100 Miles, which is very much worth your time as well. So. I'm extremely pleased to have Brendan here. I'm, ex- I'm very happy for you guys uh, that we have Brendan here. And uh, on that note, I think we bring him up. Ladies and gentlemen, Brendan Leonard. Thanks guys. Thanks. So Brendan, th- you do so many different things. I think I always love asking, especially for people for whom this is maybe I think a tough question. How do you describe what it is you do
1: I, I tell people I'm a writer, um, but I tell my parents I do all these different things, so I avoid getting a real job. I guess that's the—it's like a treadmill where you have to keep producing things and making different pieces of art, and you know, people support you, and eventually you, you're like, oh, I can, you know, pay my rent this month. This must be this is a job. So, so that's what I do. But yeah, I started as a writer. Um, I got a master's degree in journalism from the University of Montana, and. Worked for a couple newspapers that no one read for three years and then gradually got a freelance writing career going. Wrote for magazines for a while. Started my own website, which didn't pay for, I think the first the first year I got a few little checks from people republishing my stuff, but it wasn't, wasn't given at all. Um, and I just kept at it long enough and I've always tried to pivot and try to figure out how to make money um, by doing creative things, including just Drawing these sort of charts, I draw on Instagram, which I was just—I was just having fun doing it, and was like, these are funny little jokes. It's like a—I call it my adult coloring book. It's like I sit down with my iPad and I do something and get in sort of a flow state and put it on Instagram, and people like it or they hate it, and uh, mostly they don't hate it. They're just ambivalent. They—they they like it or they—they or ignore it, which is like everything in media nowadays, but. That everything that's sort of, I've done that sort of thing for free has eventually turned into something that is paying. So I get, I get clients for my illustrations, which are
0: very poorly drawn, but um, something, something's going okay with it. When did you, if ever, sort of first have the thought, I'd like to work in the outdoor industry? I got, I, so I took a
1: um, magazine writing class at the University of Montana and I was a grad student, the whole class was mostly undergraduates, and there were a handful of us grad students, and the rule was if you were a grad student, you had to get something published in a magazine before the end of the semester in order to pass, and I thought, you know, what am I going to, like, how am I going to get published by Rolling Stone or Sports Illustrator? That's impossible, because I was mostly into music at the time, and I thought, oh, I'll be a music writer, but I had gotten into, like, started doing some hiking and pink bagging and a little backpacking and stuff, and um my um, a lady I took the class with she goes oh you should write for idaho magazine they take anything and it's like that sounds right up my alley and um i strung together this it was like a two-day road trip i had taken with my buddy where we climbed Bora peak which is the highest peak in the state visited hemingway's grave and gone to craters of the moon national monument and the guy was like yes yeah, this, this looks great i'll take it I, I paid 40 bucks is that okay and i said that's amazing but instead of giving me 40 dollars will you just send me like whatever, 10 copies of the magazine, cause I'm gonna send it to all my friends and be like, oh, I'm a writer now. And uh, so that was my first thing. I realized, oh, I can just go do the stuff I find to be fun on the weekends. And if I can turn it into some sort of story, I can get paid for it. And this wasn't that long ago, so $40 in today's dollars is probably like 55, you know? So I wasn't like going, oh, I gotta I can make a living. You know, I'm gonna be a freelance magazine writer. Cause, At that rate, would have to write like I don't know, ten thousand stories a year for you know for that much money. But it was it was a start. I thought, oh okay, like the light switch went off. And the next year, so I made forty dollars the first year. The next year, I made I think I made one hundred and fifty the next year. And then the year after that, I think I made twelve hundred dollars as a freelance writer. This so is so, a good trajectory. Yeah, big time. So and then last year, after, I think I made seventeen hundred dollars. No, I didn't. I did better than that. But it was a slow start. Um, but it was like it's like that whole theme of doing things for free. And I was comparing with a friend of mine who also has been writing for the internet and magazines for a long time about what we were getting paid in like two thousand four to write for the web. And she was like, oh, I think they paid fifteen bucks an article. And we we're I'm like. Oh my God, if they, you know, if like Uber and Lyft had existed, then we would have been Lyft drivers. I mean, like, why would you waste time writing getting paid 15 bucks to write an article? You just go drive Lyft for like an hour and make, I think, 18 bucks.
0: I don't know. So, yeah, thank God that that wasn't a thing, man, I guess. Yeah, we, we would have lost out on a whole lot of <laughs> yeah. writing and media yeah. if, uh, if for that. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. So, I think since you touched on this, doing work and writing at times when there isn't a whole lot of financial reward behind that, this is about getting a foot in the door, right? You know, I think that is gonna be a very live question for a number of of students here. And like, how do you approach that? I mean, on the one hand, we would all like to get a a sort of appropriate value for the work. On the other hand, sometimes you gotta be willing to kind of kick the door in or get a foot in the door however you can. What's your sort of advice on that, or what's your experience been like? Uh, yeah, I mean, for me, in, you know, we are I always had a real job on the side of adventure
1: writing until it became enough that I could do it full-time. So I worked a lot of full-time jobs that weren't financially rewarding. I really didn't like um, all that much, which I think is, for most people, unless your dad owns a company where he's just going to give you a, Great job! Right after you go to college, you're probably going to work a job you don't. You're not in love with, um, which you know I did that, and I was always always on the side after work. You know, my my coworkers would be like, "Do you want to go to happy hour with us?" i be like, "No, I'm going to go. I'm either going to go rock climbing or I'm going to go try to write about rock climbing." And for the first few years, just failed at it, you know, completely. Like my story ideas were terrible. People wouldn't listen to me. They like, who's this person? And I just used to collect rejection letters because they used to they used to mail them to you and be like, sorry, you're an idiot, you know. And I have a file that I found a couple of years ago. With like there's like 20 rejection letters in there. And I thought, what are you doing with these? Like are you gonna, I'm gonna show these people, like, you know. They don't care, you know, I don't know what, this lady who was interning at Sierra Magazine in 2005, I don't even know what she's doing now, but I kinda wanna be like, hey, whatever your name is, I showed you, didn't I, you know? I wrote for your magazine that you don't work for anymore and you haven't worked there for 10 years. Um, But yeah, like in my line of work, there was no job that people were gonna be like, oh, you wanna be a freelance adventure writer? Okay, here's a contract. Here's eighty thousand dollars a year. You get paid every two weeks. Like that doesn't exist, and so I had to work a job to pay the rent because it, my level of success was not coming in financially. Um, and I think that's the truth in a lot of in a lot of things. And this, I think, the millennial or the youngest generation coming up now is sort of becoming the gig generation, where a lot of people have a lot of different things that they do for a living. We're maybe not going to have that one full time job that we. You know, my dad was a butcher for 42 years and that's literally all he did. Um, He never had to have a side gig. It was like good paying enough benefits where he did that whole thing. And he's, I think that's the last generation where there's gonna be a lot of people that do that. And now we're kind of like, it sucks because you have to do multiple different things to make enough money to get by, but you also have these options of like, what, okay, what's that second thing I'm gonna do to try to, you know, could I be a rock climbing photographer? Sure, the first year I will make no money. The second year I will make five hundred dollars when I sell one photo, and if I keep at it maybe i'll maybe I'll make more um, while I'm waiting tables or while I'm you know working at the climbing gym, you know uh checking people in and out or something like that. Um, so I think I guess that's my advice would be to not lose sight of that one thing like that you really want to be like I always wanted to be a writer, you know i like, I knew I wanted to do that, and I wasn't going to be like. I didn't get the, the writer job, so I might as well just resign myself to whatever it is I get to do, you know? Copy editor at a weekly newspaper that no one reads and I'll get laid off in a few years, you know? So I was pursuing that thing on the side and, you know, failing, I would say failing upwards, I guess at the time. Um, so yeah, I, I, you, you start out with some things because you have this romantic notion of what it's gonna be like, I was like, I'm trying to put together a writing class for the summer and I was thinking about the motivations to write things and be published over the years and like when I was super young I was like I'm gonna meet a lot of girls being a writer it's gonna be awesome that did not did not happen um there's there's a comedian who jokes about like my wife thinks I meet all these beautiful women on tour I don't I meet guys who look like me you know <laughs> which is uh, which is kind of the reality of it and then you know, later it becomes you know I just want to have this sort of validation that I'm that I'm doing something and it's reaching people. And, and now I've been doing it for several years, and the real point of it is to connect with people. And if you told 19 year old me that yeah you should be a writer because you can connect with people, and you're like well pff, I don't, what's that? I don't even know what that. No, I want like I want to be like Hunter S. Thompson or you know some superstar or whatever. And, um, but it, there's always that romantic notion that you had, like, ah, oh, but that's really cool. And by the time you finally get to say it, and you're like, yeah, I'm a published author, you're like, it's actually not that cool. But I'm still having fun doing it. So, um, yeah, I guess that's a roundabout answer. But don't give up on whatever it is, I guess, is the thing,
0: you know. What I guess I want to get clear on is, so it really was for you, this was like, I am going to be a writer. It wasn't. I want to be in the outdoor industry. It was. I want to be a writer, and then it was about figuring out what do I most want to write about, so on and so forth. Right? Because I think that's an important that's an important distinction in your own story, right? If if people are looking at you, being like, look at this outdoor industry guy who makes all this content for the outdoor industry, it's like, hang on, let's get this story straight, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess
1: you like you you write about like they say write about what you know, which is not not true in science fiction, I guess, You don't really, that's not something you know, but um, when, you're, when you're starting out as sort of journalism, you kind of write about the things that interest you, and um, I never was like straight up journalism, I didn't want to like go to city council meetings and get the scoop, it was like, wait a minute, I can go climbing all weekend and make a story about six rock climbs in, you know, on Lumpy Ridge, and... SS Park, Colorado, that's a great that's a great hobby that you can turn into a living, I guess, you know. Um, and yeah, I think you, you find a niche and mine just sort of I sort of decided that I wanted to write about things that were you know, I think like in, in sports, like the larger sports world, not that like I view skiing and climbing as sports, but we we always just focus on the high achievers, you know, like and more so more now we're getting to the stories of the people who are not winning championships or gold medals or who are climbing at the highest levels. But at the time I started writing in like 2010, I was kind of like, you know, I mean, that's super inspiring, but there's a lot of us out there who are just having fun doing what we do. And we're trying hard, we're not necessarily like climbing hard enough to be featured in a black diamond ad but we're having fun it feels the same you know it feels the same for someone who wants to climb 511 and is like at 10c and like that feels really hard and they know what it feels like to try to climb it feels as hard as it, as 515c or whatever feels to somebody who climbs at that level so how do we focus on this shared experience that we all have as opposed to you know what what Amounts to like basically rock gymnastics. Like like I don't I can't climb upside down. That's like that's a whole. I mean, I don't, what is that? I don't know. That's not rock climbing anymore. You're going, you're going backwards and up, you know, like, you're
0: not even going up anymore. Yeah, but uh, so I guess that was the idea, and that that sort of became a niche, I guess, for me. Yeah. So that you you said we're going to talk about kind of the nature of of the work specifically on the on the website and on social. But so you took this vision of, I want to write, I want to be a writer, but then in 2010, you're looking around and saying, we all kind of have these shared experiences. Turns out very few of us are Chris Sharma. Turns (laughs) out. Turns out. And uh, so how do we talk about these activities in ways that are more relatable? And hence, this led to the creation of Semirad.com in 2011. Yeah, maybe maybe more accurately, magazines wouldn't publish the stories I wanted to write, which were like yeah, That's I'd
1: send them an idea and they'd be like, "That's dumb. That's not actually funny." And I'd be like, "That is funny. You don't you don't know." And so I thought, if I just self-publish it, people can decide if it's funny, you know, not just one guy who's in an office in Boulder and decides what is what people want or what they don't want and. Um, <clears throat> There's a lot of serious stuff in magazines and I felt like a lot of them were just like, I just wanted to write a lighthearted story about something I did or something somebody did and they were like, yeah, but where's the tension? And I'm like, there wasn't any, we just had a good time. There was some funny shit that happened, but like, and they're like, yeah, but didn't you almost die? Or like really question your existence? Like, no, I mean, it was hard, but I'm not, we're not like diamond miners in Chile, I mean, come on, man. And it just seemed like it was so serious and was like, And then several years later, down the road, I would be writing for one of those magazines and I would turn in what I thought they wanted and they'd say, you should write it more like you'd write it for your blog. And I was like, ah, like, you know,
0: oh, now you guys are funny. Okay. You know, and so much of what's that? Can we pause? That is so critical because again, I think it is very easy to look at where you are right now. You've got a nice social following, you know, you you've, you've you have kind of made it and this trajectory is not, this isn't done. We are not plateaued here. And I think it is super important to underscore what you just said was, which was Semirad.com started out of rejection. Absolutely. Keep that in mind all the time. Right. And you found another way. And now, like you said, the traditional publications that were like, nah, are like, actually, could you do that thing you do? And like, I think it is often too easy to look at somebody who has done that work that was more or less behind the scenes, and you look, and you're like, look at this guy who just gets to make movies all the time and write whatever he wants. And it's like, no, that started in rejection. And I would carry that and hold on to that. We actually recently just, we were talking about, we did like, we somehow ended up on like an hour-long conversation about it was actually about the tip of the iceberg. And I think I was saying that I think we just perpetually make this mistake. All of us do in all of these different walks of life where, so I think what we're talking about is that tip of the iceberg. It's like, Oh, Brendan, he's got this thing. He writes funny stuff. People seem to love him, But the 90% is like the consistency, the grind, the work, the handling rejection, the figuring out a way around. And we never, I don't know what it is, but we never remind ourselves of that. I, I, dumb anecdote, but I remember like several years ago when like Tiger, I don't know anything about golf, but I remember when Tiger Woods, when people were like, this is the greatest golfer of all time ever. And people were like, how are you the greatest golfer of all time ever? And he's like, I work. And I remember thinking at the time, like, that's lame. And I think the older I get, the less lame I think that actually is. I mean, obviously, there are natural skills there about, you know, a club and a ball. But in the kind of work that we're talking about here, which is like sitting down, writing, getting rejected by editors, et cetera, it actually is the work. And if you want to give up on that stuff, you won't ever get to you won't ever get to that part where people are like, wow, look at that nice life you've carved out so easily, right, automatically, you know, uh, not thinking about what it took to get there. And I don't know, but it seems to me that there's a lot of stories, I think, like this, and I think that it is a critical thing for for some of you to keep in mind, because you are, you're gonna get rejection, you know, and you're gonna have things not break the right way, and your willingness or interest in finding alternative paths is gonna be huge in terms of where you end up. Yeah, I think we perpetuate this idea in America of the genius as well, where it's like, all
1: you have to do is get in line at an you know, American Idol or The Voice audition and nail it once. And like, that's not the truth. That person wasn't just like over getting a hot dog at 7-Eleven and like, oh, what are you guys doing? Oh, there's a thing I should, yeah, maybe I should go sing, you know? It's like, that person's work to get there and in the you know that's a that's a lightning strike of how to get a record contract as well it's like most what you don't see is that hours and hours and hours of practice this person has put in with a musical instrument or singing or whatever it is to become great you see their first single that is already great and my friend uh, tony who's a chiropractor and entrepreneur in chicago is like always says like don't look at me up here you missed when i was starting out and doing these like free seminars and Whole Foods with two people and one of them was falling asleep and like a homeless guy in the back trying to get clients for my business. You know, that was when nobody wants to hear that, you know. And yeah, my, my wife describes it as like a you know like a side view of a duck where the duck looks very placid on top of the water. And what you don't see underneath is the feet just you know, and this is me trying to keep my career afloat, you know, I'm like I always think like, oh yeah, you saw that cartoon I draw, drew that where it's the duck's head above water, and down here, like my website's going down, and like you know, my somebody had canceled my health insurance, and I can't think of what to write about this week, and like all this other stuff where you're busy, and you know, here I made this little tiny thing, hopefully you enjoy it, you know, and that's that's what we don't see, you know, like those people are. I don't know anybody who doesn't work very hard who's successful, I guess. and there's actually a great Freakonomics uh, podcast episode about it called How to Be Great at Just About Anything, and it totally, um, the idea of talent that we have, it totally blows it apart, it's, it's pretty amazing. It's one, of, it's one of the best pieces of internet radio I've ever heard, um, but it, it's, you know, I've, there's an argument I've had with several people, like, I don't believe in talent, you know, and, okay, there is, there's like LeBron James talent, that's talent, okay, sure, but, the thesis of this episode is that talent is nothing without hard work. Like, you can't just show up, you know. Um, so I recommend it to everybody. Uh, and as far as alternative paths go, like, right now we're in this golden age of alternative paths. You know, right when you and I probably started our careers, you were like, you had to go through a magazine to get something published about the outdoors or adventure. And now we kind of don't, it's democratized. You can start a blog, people will read it. You can. Have an Instagram account that's about just living in a van and you can make a living off it if you do it right. You know, like a lot of your favorite rappers probably started on SoundCloud, you know, which is just like, hey, my buddy and I recorded this and here we go. You know, we'll see what happens, you know, Um, which I think is really refreshing and cool. It doesn't doesn't make it so you have to go through these gatekeepers and tastemakers. You can just do your
0: thing and hopefully get it out there.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's super true. And, uh, yeah, you used the word already, so I'll just repeat what you just said because that makes for a compelling interview. But uh, yeah, that democratization, I think, that we've seen through technology is, I think, you know, we've, there's obviously pros and cons with technology. But that has been a thing where it, it only it plays even more to what we're talking about is that ability. Like if you are willing to grind and if you have that vision and you really believe in it, there are ways around more so than there have ever been. And that is a real opportunity and it is not going to be easy, but it's on you and you do have that opportunity. And I think um, that is real cool. And, uh, and actually both of us, I guess we, we both started our publications in 2011 and both are, both are examples of that. You know, we, didn't, we weren't looking to go the traditional media routes and uh, you know, I, I think you have an empire now, and I just have, like, I'm still just
1: myself, and I just got my first desk, like, five <laughs> months ago, so, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you've, yeah, you've done really well oh, compared well, to other things. Yeah.
0: There's been a little bit of work. Uh, there's, there's been a little bit of work. I, by the way, the, the story on that, I, my first two years with Blister, literally seven days a week, I would go to bed at, at 4 or 5 a.m. and get up at 9 a.m. That was seven days a week. And I, I don't I don't know how I didn't die. Uh, like, I look back at that now and I'm just like, I don't. But I think that's how a lot of stuff gets off the ground. And so it's real clear. You're like, yeah, that doesn't sound interesting to me. I'd be like, you're right, it doesn't really sound interesting to me now. But those are sometimes the kind of efforts that we're talking about that, you know, but if you do that and you've got these end arounds, we do have technologies today that you keep at it, things can grow. Um, I'm happy to report I don't do that anymore. So like, I, I generally sleep more than four hours a night. I'm very, very excited to tell you that part. I can't believe you don't have more wrinkles, like.
1: Yeah. You look good for that. Thank for you for that, that. yeah. <laughs> or
0: just being alive. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's good yeah. too, yeah. Um, can we talk about your books just a little bit? Which book of yours would you recommend that if people were to go pick up one to start with? What's your favorite to recommend?
1: I have the, I'm actually going to put out a book of cartoons in the next few Months that'd be the easiest. It's like the the thing that doesn't exist yet. Yeah, so pick that up at your local No, I don't even know where it's yeah Now I made this one called make it till you make it and it's this little I just self-published it and the reason I did it is because I got all these questions from I get an email or Instagram message or something like that every couple weeks or a week and somebody would say hey I was just wondering if I could give you a call or take you out for coffee and pick your brain about how you do what you do and I thought, man, I keep having coffee with people and I keep kind of saying the same thing. So I just wrote it all down and put it in a little book and then I put it on Kindle for $3 because that's like roughly the price of the coffee this person would have bought me. And now I don't have to leave my house. I can just be like, oh, I'm actually traveling this week. Sorry, but here, this thing, will, you know, this is pretty, I'll just send you a free copy at this point. Um, and it's just kind of like the the biggest obstacle most people have, I think, is just starting to do something. And that was kind of, you know, it's true in climbing, it's true in skiing, it's true in anything you wanna do for, for work and like uh, playing the guitar I assume too, you know, like you're never gonna get good if you just keep thinking about, I'd like to do that someday. And I'm like, just start, you know, just start small, just write a little bit and see how it goes. Um, uh, but that's that's been the biggest obstacle I feel like. People are like, I don't know what I wanna write about, I don't know what I wanna do, and I'm like, you'll figure it out, like you're not gonna have an audience right away, it's not like you're gonna put it on the internet and people, like a million people are gonna see it and be like, this sucks, go away. No one's gonna see it, like your mom may see it and then like maybe five of your friends, but you can fail, you can do bad work to start with, you know, and like maybe you'll figure out some good things and you'll, you'll get better, but your audience won't, there's not gonna be an audience right away, you know, so. Um, yeah, so I mean, I mean that and that's I guess I would say to start there.
0: If you could recommend one book that isn't one of yours uh, to the students here, what would that be? I said I was gonna think about this and then I didn't. Mm. Uh,
1: I just read, well I guess this was last year, Then it's a book called The Nature Fix by Florence Williams and it's sort of mind blowing our relationship to nature. and It's about, um, <clears throat> she goes through a lot of different studies in a lot of different countries and things people are trying, different, you know, different things will just blow your mind about how much nature can help us be happier and healthier. Um, including, you know, there's a study in the book about a building, they, an apartment building they studied where one side of the windows faced out into some trees so the residents could see trees. And the other one was just like, I think it was like just the next building, like they couldn't see trees and how much Healthier the people on the one side were, and you know things about like pattern recognition in nature and how good walking is for you, and it, it didn't really apply to my life so much as like ski mountaineering or going backpacking as much as so it was just like yeah, just go for a walk in the park, you know. Um, but I think that's a that's a good book for anybody who's alive in 2019 to
0: read. Yeah. Also, I get a small commission every time I sell a book. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I don't. This is the time machine question. If the undergrad version of yourself was sitting out there in the audience, what one or two things do you think it would be most important to say to that younger version of you? Ooh. Or or what do you yeah. wish someone would have told you? I, mean, <laughs> I was a disaster when I was 20, 21. Good. Can we talk about this real quick?
1: Uh, I, wrote, I wrote a book about it. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, no, I, like, I went to rehab right after undergrad, so that's, that kind of gives you a clue where, where I was at that time. So there's things that I would say to myself that don't apply to anybody else. But um, I, I had this marketing professor who I was sort of really not in love with the whole idea of going into marketing. I talked about this a little bit in the class we went into today, but he would come in and every Tuesday and Thursday and read reports of, or emails he had gotten from alumni who were working corporate jobs or whatever. And I would always, I would just be like, God, I don't want to do any of that stuff. And I was just like, you know, sort of like had a sort of mohawk and was like painting my fingernails black. And it really, I was supposed to be getting a marketing internship the next summer and was not into it. And I went into his office and <clears throat> we were supposed to do this thing called a backdoor interview where you called a company just to ask, like you were gonna write a report on what they do, and then at the end of it, the phone call, you were supposed to say, oh, you know, Jonathan, I was just wondering if I could send you my resume. I'm looking for internships this summer and you guys sound like a great company to work for. And so I was like, I don't know, I don't wanna work for anybody that like you talk about. And he goes, well, what do you wanna do? And I go, I think I wanna be a writer, and he goes, he goes, I oh, will do something with that then. And I go, so I ended up writing my backdoor interview to Rolling Stone, and got into like the intern ended up answering my my emails, and you know, uh, and I did my report on Rolling Stone. I never wrote for Rolling Stone, but she and I became friends. And she, anyway, it's not that great of a story. She sent me one of the peacock feathers from Hunter Thompson's peacock because uh, she interned for him for a summer, and apparently
0: it was the worst thing that ever happened to her, but. I did not. I've never heard this story, but in my car right now, I have a peacock feather from Hunter S. Thompson. True story. You can all come of look in my car. You do. I'm not lying. So anyway, well, yeah, she sent me one of his pens off his desk too, which was pretty cool at the time. I don't
1: no even here. So he wins. But anyway, the, the point was that the, the professor just said, you know, like don't look at this class as if you have to get a marketing job. Look at it as how can you market your writing? And it kind of just was. It was really refreshing to have somebody, you know. Who was all about saying yeah you should get x job you know follow the, the straight path to all the other students and say to me like do whatever you need to do like you should you know and every year i try to write this guy a letter and i always fail i'm like ah oh, it's been too long like mm-hmm. i should just tell him thanks you know and it, it was really important for me in a in an environment where we didn't have those alternative paths you know if i had sat down with my high school guidance counselor and said yeah i think i want to be an adventure writer he'd be like I don't think that's actually a job. Uh, what about like accounting or like firefighter or something? Is that better? You know, so um, so to have somebody say, "Yeah, you should try to figure that out." I don't know how to do it, but think about how this could work for you in that respect. And uh, like I said, I was in disasters in undergrad, but I think some of those marketing principles that I picked up from his
0: class have helped me now. You know, to, to get my stuff out there. I guess. Um, since I like talking about you being a disaster, uh, I wanted to just quickly touch on uh, also a conversation we had pretty recently, where you were talking about how you are becoming uh, increasingly increasingly, say, militantly straight-edge. And I loved this, and I thought, this is maybe just worth a minute or two, right, um, to talk about this here. You know, college students. You know, there's some drinking that goes on in college campuses and and that kind of thing. But give me, do, do you uh, do you remember this enough? Like, I, just give yeah. us your take cool. on this. It's a it's a good it's a good take for there to be out in the world. Do you
1: guys even know? Do you, is everybody familiar with the term straight edge? Is that even a thing people say? Okay, good. At least one that one person or, nodded. Yeah, so, so. There was like five. Well, <laughs> okay. Anyway, it was Ian MacKay, the, yeah. the minor threat, Fugazi uh, singer. Owner of Discord Records, it was yeah. like they, they started doing all ages shows because they didn't want I don't even the whole it, history of. We'll do edge, we'll do another talk on Fugazi sometime. Okay. But anyway, his the the song is about why are you wasting your time doing all these dumb things when you could be using that time to create art? You know, um, which to a point I think is true, and I think I spent a good amount between the ages of. 15 and 23 just goofing off and being an idiot and getting in a lot of trouble and Fortunately being things that I could you know was able to extract myself from with with the help of some people Um, and I think you get that period in your life where you get a goof off and Maybe maybe do a lot of drugs. I don't know. That's that's not good for a lot of people Um, Addiction is a real is a real thing that I have battled with and uh, fortunately come out the other side, but yeah, you get to be lost for a while, right, but now I just don't have time for that stuff, and I don't have time to sit around and knock out four beers and be like, yeah, that was a good way to relax. It's more like,
0: man, I really don't
1: have that much time here to do these things, and I have these this list of things I want to get done, and want to wanna do, in order to look back and say, that was a life, you know, I didn't spend it laying on the couch, like, binge-watching Netflix, you know, like, I don't, I don't do that, and so like, yeah, I think I'm becoming more and more intolerant of wasting time, really, I guess is the way to say it. Um, and you know what, if you go a binge watch Netflix and that makes you happy, that's great, you should do that. And as, if you're making art, you do have to spend some time in inhaling art before you can exhale art, so. But um, I don't know, There's, it's tough for me to
0: to actually relax anymore, I guess. <laughs> Maybe that's the problem. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, and I do think that as we've talked about <clears throat> these alternative paths, uh, you know, the, the, the gatekeepers, there's more ways around than ever before. We have also talked about though, you very, mel- very well may be working one or two other jobs to do that thing that you really are passionate about. And uh, turns out, you know, if you have enough time to be going out every Friday and Saturday night and just sitting back, you know, and throwing back some drinks, Ask yourself how serious you are about this objective or vision or dream that you're trying to pull off. And I would add to that that there's a lot
1: of people who could have been writers who like sit around and drink beer and critique books in a bar. But I also would have to add that I think that's where I learned to tell stories was sitting on a bar stool with these old guys who used to come into the bar and I was just like, God, these guys can make the most uninteresting thing sound really funny and interesting like this is a skill and we were just sitting there getting drunk together and so i did learn some stuff from that period the ratio of things learned to time wasted is very out of whack but like it, it like barstool barstool storytelling is a real thing or was back then um so we didn't you know you, we didn't have smartphones to look at so it was just a few people who could tell stories, and that was really interesting to me, so there, there were takeaways, but mm-hmm. I probably sat on the bar still about four years
0: too long before <laughs> I, should, I should have gotten up and left and, yeah. you know, got my a, got a, you know, computer out. Um, we are about to, in a minute here, we're going to open this up to some questions from you folks, if you have them. Um, while you think about that, we uh, will make a uh, quick announcement here that... Um, we actually have a new project that uh, we are going to be working on together. Um, it is a new running podcast called Off the Couch. I came up with that name. His names were terrible. So plus one for me for once uh, on something like this. Um, and uh, we're really excited about this, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I don't know. We're, we, I'm sort of describing this as like a running podcast for like normal people, which I realize sounds really condescending or insensitive, but I don't know, like we love running. He's done it way more. Sometimes we hate running. Sometimes it's awful. Um, And it seems like there might be a few of us out there who have a bit of a love-hate relationship with it, but uh, ultimately think like, I mean, look, there's just a lot of wonderful, weird stories and events and characters in this world. And we wanted to cover that. And we won't be talking about things like how to shave three second off your, you know, half marathon time, I don't really think. No, I don't. I don't. Yeah, because I don't really care about that. No, I don't think you do either. But um, we probably will talk a lot about like, well, you're not listening to music while you run now. I was going to say we could do like Playlist. Maybe they'll just be mine, Oh. which is good because yeah, then there won't be any atmosphere on the playlist, which is a whole nother topic. <laughs> but uh,
1: yeah, anyway. I, mean, I went through an atmosphere period, but I haven't really been that much of a listener for, cool. a, for years. So I'm yeah. glad we had that stated for the record. I mean.
0: Anyway, it's going to be called Off the Couch. Uh, it should be rolling out at the end of next month. We are excited about this. It should be pretty funny and good, and uh, and you get to hear us. You know. Um, so, there is that. If, um, you, if you hate
1: this evening, you will hate that podcast, I believe. Oh, man. You're not
0: having fun right now. You should probably that, listen to it. Uh, I think you can get a lot better. So, I'm <laughs> holding out hope. We're going we're to coach you up. Um, so, while it, we'll see, are there any questions? Because if not, it's cool. Because I've got some, since we are at a university, I thought it would be fitting. Um, there's a novelist, uh, Marcel Proust. Uh, who has kind of famously come up with a number of questions at the age of thirteen and then at the age of twenty? So you guys should ask Brendan questions because if you don't, I'm going to start asking him these questions uh, from Marcel Proust. That's what we're in for. So uh, anyway, let's go ahead and uh, let's start with you. All right. Um, so for like somebody that's like
1: stoked to be outside all the time, as a writer working at a computer all day, and like. Cranking it out. How do you combat um, all the to get out? Or at my computer, and I'm wondering how to focus. Like as a freelance. There's some studies, and I've tried to try to incorporate one of these studies into uh, a, a thing I was writing. But it's about brain scans, about going for a walk, um, and it turns out they've the, the graphics have been way oversimplified, and it's not quite true. But um, yeah, it's tough. Like sometimes you just have to sit there and battle it out, but a lot of times it's like, I've been sitting here for two hours. I'm gonna go walk around the block, and it's the worst. Like you always get these ideas when you're in the shower, or you're driving, or you're like just doing. Like that's when you come up with that line. So I do a lot of pacing in and out of my house, and things are fairly separate, I guess. And I do when I run, I usually run with my phone, um, and I don't turn it on. I don't like listen to music or anything, but when I do have that brilliant idea, I pull it out and like try to type it in the notes section. And sometimes I end up typing a sentence or whatever. And sometimes I've, I've written almost entire blog posts on the notes app while in a tent, you know? Cause I was like, oh, this is hilarious. This is gonna be so great. Sometimes they turn out to be terrible and sometimes they're not. But I'm pretty good at shutting off the whole wanting to exercise thing. So I'll like run a really long run and then I'll spend the whole next day just like drinking coffee and eating donuts and not moving but theoretically that's when you do the writing but i don't think you get the ideas and you never get the greats i don't think you get the ideas while you're standing there but some of the sentences i found that you have to you have to sort of believe in yourself that you will get it done and like you have to start and once you start you'll surprise yourself with like oh, that's actually pretty good. That sentence actually, I can't believe that came out. And that comes from that sort of grinding it out. Um, but I'm better at working than I am being outside. I think there's a lot of people in our industry who are like, I love climbing, and their ratio of production to recreation is way different than mine. But I'm um, I like to go out to dinner a lot too, so they can't necessarily afford that. Right. I'm like <laughs> you know, cool, let's go to that nice just Thai place. Fire. No, no, no. It's it's like they're they're having much more fun climbing. I maybe just want to go, you know, eat Ethiopian food instead and that costs twenty five bucks or whatever. And like so I have to work to like support my addiction to things like that. And really but like, you know, there's it's great to go out and climb and I get a lot of enjoyment out of doing the things that I like to do outside, but what if you could reach people with what you do and provide that sort of connection? And that's where the real enjoyment of my work comes. I don't, I love being out in nature on top of mountains as much as everybody else does, but you are still experiencing that just for yourself. And like, if I just do this every single day of my life, is the world actually becoming a better place? Probably not, you know? if I'm able to communicate something about this that connects people, is the world becoming a better place? Slightly, yes, like much more so. So that's where I think I get the satisfaction out of the work, um, is connecting people. Um, and the the interesting thing that's happened to, where like I will, <clears throat> with social media, you'll share what you did, your blog, or the little drawing you did, or whatever, and you start to see people tagging each other in the comments, or, this is what you can see and you realize that you're, what you're making is becoming this part of a language between two people. It's this thing that they're sharing, you know, that they they talk about it when you're not around because you sat down for two to eight hours and made this thing and we're like, God, I hope people like this and like, you know, not everybody likes it, but if two people have this connection moment in, you know, that's, it was worth it for you. Because most of the internet is just people yelling at each other and, talking shit about politics and like saying all this nasty stuff and you know it's like well what if i could just be positive something positive that you know two people are using to connect and that's that's the motivation so yeah it doesn't i'm able to rein it in pretty good i'm pretty lazy really but you gotta you gotta get out there a lot too so. sounds like good balance yeah yeah how are you finding the writing process more is it like like lifting weights like pretty difficult it's not too bad it's just a matter of like I notice myself doing the same thing like pacing around doing that kind of thing but then if I get out for like even a half hour just in the middle of my work day I'll go walk the dog or ride my bike or something like that and then I'll come back and I kind of have this extra boost of creative juices, blowing that. Curious how other people go about. It. Yeah, I, there's some joke. Some, it's not my joke, but it was. I think it was on Twitter about the relationship to how clean someone's house is and if they have a deadline coming up. And it's like, you will, you will. Like, where's the broom? I'm supposed to be writing right now. I got a deadline at five o'clock. I'm just gonna sweep the floor instead. So that's another good way to, to make it happen, I guess.
0: Uh, First of all, thank you guys so much for taking the time to be here. I don't don't think you guys understand how grateful we actually are. Thank you. Um, If I may, may I ask a few questions? Yeah. What what initially sparked your your conscious being? Meaning, what what exactly was the epiphany in your life that made you realize that you are a piece of this bigger picture in life that you are existing within? Ultimately, the greater connection of people. Like I love how you were talking about how you love to connect. But like, what initially sparked that connection with that?
1: Oh yeah, going with the softball, huh? Thanks. No, that's heavy. Um, I think it's been a gradual thing for me. I don't know if it's if it's like. Uh, I don't know if there was like one event. I did a um, the book I wrote about addiction and climbing was, like to me, you can't just write a story about yourself and be like, expect people to love it because you're so cool. Um, but I, I thought if this could help one other person going through what I was going through, then it's worth it. So you're kind of, I think you, in my opinion, you have to be aware of your audience and like, what you, who are you trying to reach, right? Like, what are you trying to do for people? Because if you're just doing it to like, say, I'm awesome, look at me, it doesn't really resonate you know it resonates for people who are Kim Kardashian I suppose you know like that that works but for most of us we're looking for some sort of human connection so that was I guess that was that event uh going through sort of rehab and fighting through addiction was really sucked for me and I thought well I can make something that is a resource that doesn't exist right now for me a story that I have not read in this genre that hopefully will help people and um yeah, I never got rich, but I've gotten probably four letters or emails from people that have made it like worth way more than whatever I could have made, you know, because it changed their life in some way. Um,
0: You're so. wealthy in your heart, though, and that's, yes. what, that's ultimately what matters.
1: I, I call them emotional paychecks. Yeah. 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 So...
0: Um, if I may ask one more? Yeah. What is being to you? Oh,
1: boy. Jeez. Uh, um, I think the meaning of life is trying to find the meaning of life. You know, does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, if you figured it out, you're just lying to yourself, right? So, yeah, I guess trying to improve as a person every day, um, in in small ways, and like, am I am I doing something that's that's you know being kind to other people, or am I making the world a better place as opposed to just like spewing negativity or, or whatever it is? Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. So, I have a question, and I think it's by both of you, but we've been talking recently about resiliency, and in those first couple of years, um, when you were failing so often, when you were doing those long long days and nights, um, what kept you going when everything told you to quit? And not like in a mountaineering standpoint, like, like oh, I'm going to die, but like, what, what actually kept you going? Do you want to take that one? Did
0: you, Did you fail? uh it's a different my situation was a bit different i guess in terms of with blister um i think honestly there was just so much vision and belief that to be honest it was like i will die before this fails and i i kind of i mean actually having a told you my schedule for those first two years, like it was actually pretty true. And uh, I don't know that that's wise, I don't know that's maybe just really messed up, but I think that um, there was somewhere enough belief and enough vision and maybe enough competitiveness that came out of a previous athletic background or, or I don't really know but I really do think actually, it does come back to just belief in the project. And uh, um, and that's where weirdly for me, it was like, yeah, literally like, I will die before this fails. And uh, I think in life, it's funny thinking about the kind of question, like, what is the meaning of life? I, I think that is a big thing for me, like to just go all in, like, You better be careful what you choose, right? But when you choose, you go all in. And uh, I think to me that is, those have been the richest experiences of my life. And uh, even though there have been several chapters, I think that's been a consistent and uh, not once do I have any regrets about a few of these different chapters where it was 100% in and you learn a lot from those experiences. You push yourself. You test yourself. Um, and I don't know. I, for me, I think that's how I look at. I think on you know on on my deathbed, I will look at those moments as like that. I gave everything. So I don't know if there's a blueprint for how you teach that. I don't know that you should follow that. You know, but sometimes I do think there are kind of monumental efforts and commitments if you're going to get some of this stuff done. Top that. <laughs> yeah,
1: the, the, I'm not sure if i have heard the question, but it's about resiliency and how you respond to early failures. And I think there's always been, in writing especially, there's, a, there's always these narratives floating, or these stories floating around of books that got rejected over a hundred times, which Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance was one of them. And I knew that somehow when I read it in college, just, instead of reading class material I was supposed to be reading, I was reading this book that had sold over a million copies at that point and then two million by now. And you kind of tell yourself, like, well, there were 99 editors who were, like, kicking themselves. Like, so there's this, it's just a gray area. Like, it's not necessarily what you sent them that they rejected was objectively bad. It just wasn't right at the time. So you just keep trying, you know, and, like, what's really worth having if it works the first time, you know, if you're like, hey, I got this book idea, and people are like, great, here's a million dollars. like, okay, I didn't really learn anything from that experience, and every everything I've done that I've been happy about has come through things being very hard, and um, my friend, I made this film about uh, how to run 100 miles? It's about the two of us running an ultra marathon together, and the only reason I did it was to make a film about him, um, which is a terrible idea. But it was his life story is about persistence, and he was yeah, his mom, his father was abusive towards his mother, so he she left him with six she took six kids. He emptied out their bank account, and they just scrapped for years. And then Jason was dyslexic, so he got bullied, so he got in a lot of fights in school, and then. He decided to try out for wrestling and he lost every single wrestling match for two years and then he won his first one and it's his whole life about persistence and i thought well I'll try to run 100 miles you'll obviously you'll get through it this is what you do you know it's like his whole everything um and we're training for this race and he's like i've been dating this girl kate it's going really well i go yeah that's great you know we're just running having our chat every week and and he goes yeah i'm not sure what to think and i go Maybe everything in your life doesn't have to be hard, you know. Like maybe you can have one easy thing, you know. And and we both kind of were like, wow. And I thought, well, you're really good one there, Buddha. That's amazing. (laughs) But but it was like everything we had said, everything we both have struggled for in life has been this really difficult thing. And yeah. So you want it to be difficult, you don't learn anything. So and especially, I don't. I feel like this is like your your guy Kanye West is like. People, you know, he's like, people told me I wasn't going to do this. Now look at me. And it, he continues to say it. And they're like, are there really people around you anymore who are telling you you can't do stuff? You just, you're just still mad, you know? And But you do. You always have that sort of like, uh, maybe you should give up. Maybe you should. And it's, sometimes it's friends. Sometimes it's employers. Like, I don't know if that's a good idea. Sometimes it's like your mother trying to protect you. Like, are you sure you could fail? And like, then that would break your heart and I would be sad. And like, yeah, mom, I think I want the heartbreak and the failure and just to grind it out. So yeah, I, I mean, I think that's that's my answer.
0: One, if I may, one last thing on top of that is um, I think you got to be real careful about what your metrics are for success. And so, is, you know, if, if we're asking like, I want to be a pro climber, like I want to make enough money to just make a living going out and climbing on rock. It's like, well, today, then you actually probably need to be climbing at least 515, at least, you know, if you're really going to make a decent living at that. So in that one, you got a pretty clear metric. And so you're the question of, should you still be resilient? like. If you're only climbing 512, 513, you're not there. But in so many of these other walks, so for example, like, you know, when Brendan's like, well, you didn't fail. It's like, well, wait a minute. We were killing ourselves putting out this content. And in those first years, it gets pretty easy to be like, our traffic should be 20 times what it is today, you know, and and actually today. It's like, you know, our traffic is what it is. It's good. It could be 20 times bigger. It, you know, and it's like those were never for the first two years of the website. I never looked, I never looked at our traffic ever. It was just about we are doing things in exactly the way we think is the right way to do it. I know our traffic isn't what we want it to be. This is not the point right now. Right. And so I think. Maybe, hopefully, a a useful answer to that question is how are you determining success or failure? Because if it's really about the work and doing the work the right way, you actually get to control that. If it's these other kind of external metrics and those are really important, that gets trickier, you know. But I would try to get real clear on those things so that you can even if it's just some parents who told you you ought to be making X amount of money by now you know, maybe you let that one go. If it's really, if you're really on a particular project um, or pathway.
1: I, I did a talk about this called The Joy of Making It Small. It's a six minute thing about, instead of making it big, it's okay to make it small and have a sort of, instead of being a best-selling author, it's cool to just connect with people. and it, The story is about this guy chasing me down in Garden of the Gods and being like, I read your book about road trips. I'm from Tennessee. I got inspired, and I'm on a road trip right now. I can't believe I found you, and how crazy it was. Like, like that was not a bestseller or anything, but one of the larger points was, like, you, you think, you know, when I was younger, I was like, oh, it'd be so cool to be, like, successful and famous, and then now I look at, like, really famous people, and I think, man, that would suck. I guarantee you they hate that. Like, can you imagine not being able to, I mean, like, you're looking in the fridge, and you're like, oh, my God, we're out of eggs. You're like, I can't go get eggs because if I go to the grocery store, I'm going to get mobbed by people. And, like, that's not a life. You don't want that. You're like, all I wanted to do was be an actor. And instead,
0: I got this. A prison, you know. So talk talk about metrics of success, I guess. We're going to wrap up shortly here and then, I guess, bounce across the way just to do a bit of a reception um, where we can maybe say hi and you guys can come meet Brendan. Um... Uh, any other questions? I can't believe we've avoided the Proust questions. I'm I'm slightly disappointed, and yet also I'm I'm very impressed with the questions you've asked. Did I miss? Yeah. Why do you do it?
1: Yeah. Um, I I want to. Um, I guess like number one is freedom for me. Um, I don't really. I don't think I'm gonna get rich, but I really enjoy getting up every day and being like okay, what can I do today? And you think like being an adventure writer, I guess, you know, the romantic notion of it is that you just spend months on expeditions or whatever. I just like being able to not be on conference calls and in meetings and being like, hey, it's Tuesday, you want to go out for breakfast before we start working today? I don't know. And then like I can go for a trail run and then go to work and work from four to 11 as opposed to, you know, whatever. And... Uh, for the most part, I get to create whatever I want on a daily basis within certain parameters. You know, you're not like, you're not just gonna fly off and do something that's gonna offend a bunch of people and you're gonna lose your entire audience because of it. But I think that creative freedom is the the number one thing for me, Um, so yeah. What's what's yours?
0: Um, I think think about this one a lot Um, and I think that it goes back a little bit for me to what I said about in these in a few chapters of life uh, of my life. Um, when I have found these things that I am just very passionate about, um, I, I have I'd say I've gone all in about three times, you know, um, and uh, this is one of those times. And I think that it was it has to, you know the backstory about um, what was going on in the outdoor industry. Uh, what was going on in terms of the basically the way global outdoor review media was conducted. I I was just a guy who was really getting into skiing and mountain biking and climbing. And and I knew that, you know, I I didn't grow up in this stuff. Right. I was playing football and basketball back in Chicago. So when I got into the mountain stuff a bit later in life, um, I, I knew that getting on the right equipment could probably really help me out. And I just couldn't find any of the information, uh, really good sort of consumer product information on any of this. And so then the more that I kind of looked into why that was so, and then as I learned more about how the revenue structure works for a lot of these review publications, that it's often kind of a pay to play thing where it's advertising dollars that are exchanged for writing nice things about product. I honestly like that blew my mind and I was like scandalized. And I it started really blister started as an experiment, like what would happen if we tried really, really hard to just tell the truth and be accurate about this stuff. And I I told this story earlier today because it's true. I was like, if we come criticize, say, Rosignol's flagship product, do they just send like a hitman over in the middle of the night and like pop? And then like that was that. And then it's like fun experiment. Now I'm dead. And uh, I I didn't know and uh, but that's, you know, that's kind of how that started. And to me, it really comes down to like all of this outdoor sports stuff is actually turns out really expensive. And I just hated the idea that we're not we're kind of lying to our fellow skiers and bikers and climbers like which were like my best friends. And so that that was a big one for me. And I think there's a, a even bigger macro question, which is kind of. I like the idea of, you know, if we could create a company where our revenue streams didn't undermine the integrity of our work, that's like drop the mic stuff. I would be extremely proud of that, you know, and that's not easy to do. And so by the way, again, I don't know that if I said, we don't take any money from the gear manufacturers we review, which has been a very painful principle for us, you know, Uh, very painful. but it was sort of the right way to do things. And everybody that's been involved in Blister bought into that vision. By the way, that's another very powerful force. We've collected an amazing group of people who buy into this as well, and that will motivate you a lot, you know? So I think those are a few of, a few of my whys. And then by the way, Blister is evolving too. And here we are tonight in this new series where given the work that we've been doing for the last eight years, we now have made certain connections, and and uh, to see this expand into an area where we get to come have these conversations with you guys, um, that's a very exciting development. And I think that you just kind of keep looking. You know, do your core work, but see where else you could possibly make contributions. And again, I think with this community, hopefully, being able to bring something to 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 you folks, answer some of your questions hopefully you get some inspiration from folks like Brendan. Those are really interesting developments that are related to that core of what we do, but are a bit of an extension of what we do. And I think if you have the ability to kind of evolve the project in those ways, man, I'm, I'm all in, you know, that's, that's a still, that's a big why, uh, and a good reason for me. And is you mentioned
1: the audience and you it's, it's a pretty big gift when you are able to sort of have a following of people where you're like, tell a joke on the internet. and You know, you think people are laughing at it and like, that's a pretty cool feeling. Like, hey, this this was a good part of my day. And you're like, yeah, all right. I'm glad I spent an hour drawing that. Like, you laughed and you laughed and you laughed. That was sort of worth it, so you're kind of just like a, giving a gift to people, being like, I don't know guys, see what you think. and If, if it works, if it's a positive thing for people, that's, that's a pretty special thing. Um, you know, I don't have illusions about like changing the world, but it's a pretty cool way to change the world just a tiny bit, and every day you can do that, so, yeah. Good question, you talked about the content you create for Semi-Rad, your books. One part you haven't talked much about is your film, and I gotta say, when, the first time I saw 35, Mm. Collaboration. You did That five minutes was an amazingly beautiful piece mm. of work. Where does film fit in to your work? And where you, and, and you obviously talked about the, the film you just worked on, the 100 copies, um, but talk, talk maybe a little bit about film and just the work you've done in film is really interesting. Oh, thank you. Uh, it's, it's a really inefficient way for me to make money, so I'm kind of trying to take a little time off. <laughs> um, I don't know, I, I spent a long time going to film festivals like Five Point, Carbondale, and Mountain Film. We go every year for, gosh, like five or six years. It's really hard to be in that audience as a person with sort of access to those tools and be like, and not sit there and go, I want to do something like this. So I, I did a few things. and. Um, I joke that the one storyline that I have is, let me tell you about my friend. And it's always about that, like this character I meet, I'm like, oh my God, this person is so rad. Like, why don't, why don't we just try to turn a camera on and see what happens? Um, so it's been, it's been fun. Um, I'm not the best cinematographer, and we shot a lot of, I shot, my wife and I probably shot 40 to 50% of that, how around 100 miles ourselves. Um, so a lot of it was on iPhone, you know, which is getting to be a better and better camera and works really well when you're running an ultra marathon and you need footage and you need to like, I'd set an alarm on my phone to go off every hour to record a race diary. But it is an incredibly complex way to tell stories as well and there's so many variables and you have to involve a lot of other people and it's, I really don't like managing people. So when you have like three or four or five people that all have to have work into you and you have to sort of coordinate that and like it's all it's always been a labor of love for me and the last one was my friend and I've known my, my friend Jason for 19 years now and it was like I was okay like given it my my health my sleep for for running the race and then spending six months after that making the movie which turned into another ultra marathon and losing money you know I'm just like I probably made four dollars an hour on this film at this point so um, but there's certain things that pop up and you think I could write a quick story about this person but if I shot if I shot video of them the world would really enjoy this person like I have um, I've been trying to move forward on a film about my mom's climbing partner at the gym in Des Moines Iowa and she's Kitty is 74. And took up climbing when she was 67, and she is just the mouthiest, most direct. Um, she will talk shit to you while you're climbing, you know, like tell you what you're doing wrong. And she she top ropes like 5'11" ish, um, and I want to make a film about her because she's such a fire plug, you know. Uh, but she tore a rotator cuff uh, in December, so she's having surgery. And so that would that'd be the next thing. But that's kind of like I'll show up with a camera, we'll see what we get, and. Um, it always tends to be super labor intensive too because I can't really, you sit down with your interview stuff and you're like, God, why didn't I ask this? And she didn't really say this. And she didn't start using profanity until we turned the camera off and that's the good stuff. And <laughs> so it tends to be like this perfectionist thing where you're like, we got to keep going until, so it's when, if I'm in charge of the film, I do really poorly financially. If I just work for somebody, I do way better. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So they're they're all
0: labors of love, I guess. Thank you so much for these good questions. Again, please, uh, we're just going to head just across the way um, over here to keep this going if you would like to. And um, I want to thank Brendan. This has really been fun. And thanks for coming. And I hope uh, some of this was beneficial to you guys. And you can now look forward to this amazing new running podcast called Off the Couch, and uh, we're going to kind of keep, keep some of this going. So um, thank you. Thanks for being at this very first event. And uh, we will see you guys next month. Um, so thanks again. That's it for this edition of the Blister podcast. And that is a wrap on our inaugural Blister speaker series at Western. I want to thank everyone who came out to that first event, and thanks to all of you who asked such good questions during the Q&A and then in the ensuing reception. Thanks also to Brendan Leonard for the conversation, and be sure to follow him at Semirad on social, and check out his website at semi-rad.com. And if you'd like to join us at Western for the next Blister Speaker Series Talk, Then come see us in the Gunnison Valley on Thursday, February 28th at 6 p.m., where my guest will be Eric Larson, the world record polar and Everest adventurer, expedition guide, and climate educator. Thanks, everyone. We look forward to the next event, and we will talk to you again very soon.